Well, good to be back with you after uh, going my first time to Oregon. It was very green, very big trees. Fairly neat out there. It was exciting to be there. I appreciate the opportunity to let you let me go out there and do that. Uh, really had an enjoyable time getting to know the Christians in the Portland area. Uh, I was really excited to be there. A lot of Christians, I think, as well, felt uh, encouraged by the the things that were were being done there. And so it's always good to expose yourself to other Christians. To remind you, there's a, a vast body of God's people all over the place, and uh, it was neat to get to meet a couple hundred more of them in the Portland area. It was a lot of fun. We're going to con- uh, continue, and we are going to conclude our series on Risen today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at those uh, final nine verses that Tony just read for us. Uh, we have in this section the Apostle Paul And he is now uh, wrapping all of this up concerning the resurrection. Remember the uh, Corinthian Christians, while believing that Jesus has risen from the dead, are uncertain and do not believe that they will be raised from the dead. And this chapter has been all these arguments by the Apostle Paul to prove otherwise, to show that there most certainly must be a resurrection. If one believes that Jesus has risen, so we will be risen as well. And last time we looked from verses 35 through 49 where the Apostle Paul explained how all that was going to happen. And verse 50 then is perhaps the the summary of that section. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so that really sums it up. This body cannot go to be with God. This body is prepared to live on this earth in a physical realm, and yet there we need an imperishable body. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so he, he brings that in as a, as a summary of all of this, that it's not possible for these corrupted bodies, for these perishable bodies to be able to go home to be with God. And what Paul is now going to do is explain a little bit more about the necessity of this change. You'll notice verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. So that's good news. I always like mysteries revealed. I like mysteries that are solved. Here's another mystery that's been solved. How all this is going to work out. How is this all going to to play out? Notice verse 51, we shall not all sleep. Now remember what we saw earlier, sleep. It's a nice way of saying dead. Just like we say people have passed away, he's saying not everybody's going to die, but all are going to be changed. We're waiting for Christ's coming. People are dying, but when he comes, there are going to be some that will be alive. However, that doesn't matter. Some will be some will be alive, but all are going to be changed. And the thought process is simply there's no difference between whether we have already died or whether we are alive at the coming of the Lord. There's going to be a change that's going to happen. And that's what verse 51 lays out. We all shall be changed. This is what we are waiting for. And this is what he is bringing about what he is describing that we are waiting for. 
these perishable bodies must put on imperishable, verse 53. And he says it there two different ways, making the same point. Perishable putting on imperishable, mortal putting on immortality. Again, trying to drive home to these Corinthians, don't be thrown by the idea of resurrection because you are looking at your physical body and cannot understand how that's going to happen. These perishable bodies must be changed and be put on imperishable. The mortal body must be changed to immortality. And notice what he says that will happen in verse 52. He says it's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen suddenly, in a flash. But notice it, he says, at the last trumpet. And I think that's really important. Excuse the Kleenex. No better time to have your allergies fire off, but about two minutes before you get up here. Like, nice timing. So excuse me with that. (laughs) Uh, Verse 52. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Notice the connections that are being drawn there. At the last trumpet. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul described that we are not grieving like others grieve, for the Lord is going to descend from heaven with the trumpet sound, and the dead are going to be raised, and we will be caught up together with the Lord. This picture of the second coming of Christ. He uses the same imagery here. We will be changed. When is that going to happen? When the trumpet sounds. The perishable will become imperishable when Christ returns. The mortal will put on immortality when Christ returns. I think it's interesting the way that he moves through that. All of that is going to change when Christ returns. That is the grand moment that we are waiting for. And I I highlight to you, he doesn't say when we die, all these things change. There is a moment that we are all looking forward to in the future. When he returns, when the trumpet sounds, that's when this resurrection happens. Verse uh, 53, the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So he begins with a simple process. The change is necessary. We must be changed and it will certainly happen and that is the glorious hope that we have concerning the return of Christ. Is we will be with him, the trumpet will sound and the perishable puts on the imperishable. And now watch how he continues to move that now in verse 54 when he talks about when these things are going to happen and us receiving this great victory. Verse 54. And there are two words in verse 54 I want you to underline. It's the two words, when and then, as we read this, when and then. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. There is a sequence that he lays out here that is very important. He says, now... When Christ returns, when the last trumpet sounds, then the perishable will put on the imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality. And now he says, when that happens, when the perishable puts on that imperishable, then this saying will come to pass. At the end of verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. That's when that statement will come to pass. That's when the reality will finally come in. And I think that is really important. 
This text must be used properly in understanding what Paul is talking about concerning death and resurrection. And he's telling us that right now while we live, we still see the power of death. We see people die. And how often the scriptures remind us of that and even make the very same point that Paul is making here. You go out to Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 and 14. When are death and Hades taken care of? At the end, when Satan is cast into the lake of fire and all the bodies are raised from the sea and we all stand before the judgment seat of God and it is passed before us, all the deeds that we have done in the flesh, that judgment is given. That's when death is, is dealt with. First Corinthians fifteen twenty six said the same thing when we studied it there. Remember, Christ is sitting on the throne and he is ruling until all the enemies are put under his feet. Remember who the last enemy is? Death. Death is the final enemy. Christ must continue to reign now until all the enemies are put on his feet, under his feet. And that final enemy to be destroyed is death. And I want us to consider that it looks like death is victorious every day. It looks like it has all the power. It looks like it's winning. It looks like it is going to destroy every single one. But here is what the Apostle Paul says. Here's what's going to happen. When that perishable puts on the imperishable when these mortal bodies are changed and put on immortality then this great saying that is from Isaiah 25 and verse 8 comes to pass death is swallowed up in victory that is when the victory is going to be experienced that is the consummation of all of our hope that we have been waiting for that is what we are looking forward to is death being swallowed up and it is seen when we are raised from the dead now why can we hope in that that's that's tough and everybody experiences that at every single funeral dealing with that idea of death and what happens after that but listen to the hope that's tied along with that 55 and 56 of of first corinthians 15 oh death Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Here's the hope that is laid out. Here's why we can rest assured that death will be swallowed up in victory. Because Christ has come and he has dealt with the sting that comes from death. He has dealt with sin. He has dealt with the law. And that is the hope that is given to us that though we die, we can be raised. The writer of Hebrews did the exact same thing in chapter 2, verse 14. He said, In speaking about Christ, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why? Why did he do all that? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Christ has come and through his death and through his resurrection, he has removed the sting of death. He has dealt with this problem because the greatest problem, the greatest issue that any human faces in all the problems that you think you might have and all the difficulties and tragedies and issues. Here's the worst thing that can happen. Dying in your sins. 
That's the worst. Christ has come and dealt with sin so that we do not have to fear death. That when we die, that is not now the gavel coming down and saying that is the end of the story. That is the end of the game. When the the perishable puts on the imperishable, death will be swallowed up in victory. We do not have to fear death now. Sin has been dealt with. The law has been dealt with. And that's why he can offer this great praise in verse 57. So thanks be to God and underline who gives us the victory. Christ has accomplished a victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. And it is seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He dies and raises from the dead, shatters Satan, shatters sin, so that we have the hope that though we die, and it looks like death has power now over every single one, the sting of sin has been dealt with, the the power of the law has been dealt with, so that we can be raised from the dead. That's the only reason we have hope. Because left to ourselves, when we die... We would be most pitied of all and we would be doomed. We would be going to our eternal punishment. But because of Christ, God can now give us the victory. Now he is able to hand to us victory and say, you will be risen from the dead. You do not have to be enslaved to the fear of death. And that is what makes the funeral hopeful, is not to read this text and say, oh, well, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? It's right now. We're dying. We're dying every single day. It looks like death is victorious all over the place. The hope is not now. It is the great reversal that is going to take place in the time to come. And that is what is modeled for us. Look at the life of Jesus. Here he is. He lives in this world. He lives this life. He is treated unjustly, unfairly, mocked and scourged for living a life for God. Is killed. And then the great reversal happens. And he raises from the dead and God exalts him, seats him at the right hand of God and puts everything under his feet. And here God says, and I'm going to share that victory with you. For all that you endure and all that you go through, God is going to reverse all that. And though you die, God will raise you from the dead and he will exalt you and he will place you with him. That's why verse 57 becomes this powerful song, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This resurrection and this hope of change, this hope that death is not the end, but that we will be changed and we will be raised in that twinkling of an eye at the moment's notice of the return of the Lord and be joined with the Lord. That changes now everything that we do in this life. And I submit to you, these 57 verses have all led up to just this one final verse. We finally now climb to the top of the mountain. Now that we know Christ has been raised and there are witnesses. 
And if Christ has been raised, then we will be raised and our bodies will be changed. And they are going to be glorious, imperishable bodies that will not will not then be defiled, will not be corrupted, but will be changed to be with the Lord forever. Then how do you live your life? That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Three things he tells us in verse 58. Be steadfast and immovable, my beloved brothers, therefore. That's the first thing. Remember, that's how this whole all started. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. What is being told to you, Corinthians, is the thing to which you stand upon. This is the foundation of the Christian life. And here he now comes around and says it again. Because of the resurrection of the dead, because Christ has been raised, because he has dealt with sin and he has dealt with Satan and he has dealt with death. Here is the thing that we have then. We have this great resurrection to make us certain to stand firm with God no matter what happens. No matter how difficult things may be, the resurrection is the hope that gives us our legs to stand in the gospel. The resurrection is our strength to endure any difficulty, any trial. It is the strength to keep us steady in the Christian life. It is the strength so that we will be immovable during suffering, during Satan's darts of temptation, during any challenge of life. The resurrection is the reason that we are not shaken when our loved ones die. The resurrection is the hope for everything so that we do not collapse and are not crushed under the weight of anything that happens in this life. That reversal is going to happen for us. That is why we can be steadfast and immovable. We are looking beyond this world and we are looking beyond this body and we are looking beyond this life and we are looking forward to what Christ is going to accomplish. And so as Paul could say earlier in this very section, he says, if I fight wild beasts in Ephesus, so what? If I give my body over to die, that's fine. I will do whatever it takes because I have the hope of the resurrection. I stand with God no matter what happens to me because I know the result is God is going to raise me imperishable and I'm going to be with Him forever. Does that not give you the lens of why Paul could say that the things that he was going through was this light momentary affliction? How else do we get a lens like that in this life when we could live for 80 years of suffering and pain or we could be killed early or things in life will not go the way that we want them to go or as planned? All kinds of challenges, difficulty, suffering, pain. How do we live through all of that? How are we not crushed by these things? How are we not utterly disappointed and dismayed? How are we not ruined when things go completely wrong? The hope of the resurrection. It is the hope of the resurrection. 
that this life could go completely backward. This life could get flipped upside down. Every single thing could go completely wrong. But I have the hope of the resurrection. And so let it all go backward. I'm going to be with God. God will reverse it. And God will bring me home to be with Him. That's how I get through any obstacle. That's how I get through any challenge. That's how I pull myself through any suffering. Is knowing He will raise me from the dead. And I will be with Him forever. Be steadfast and immovable in that truth. Number two. Verse 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Three things I want to highlight within that one statement. First is always. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of ourselves to a glorious home with God should cause us to always, not sometimes, not occasionally, not most of the time, Always be working in the Lord. Always. When I keep the resurrection at the forefront of my mind, when I recognize where I'm going and the hope that has been given to me, the victory that has been given to me through Jesus Christ, then he says, always. And notice it's not just always work in the Lord. I want you to notice he says, you are always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love statements like this. This is one of the reasons why Ephesians 3.20 is my favorite. Because he just keeps like doing superlatives and adjectives upon adjectives. And you kind of go, okay, now to him he was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of exceedingly abundantly beyond going on right there. And he does the same thing here. He doesn't say, okay, now because of the resurrection, work in the Lord. I want you to always overflow with excess in the work of the Lord. I want it to be abounding out of your life, pouring over like water out of a cup. Because of the resurrection, it will drive us to overflow and always desire to work the ways of God. The Apostle Paul said that earlier in verse 10 when we studied that a few weeks back. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Why did he work so hard for the Lord? Because of the grace of God that had been shown to him. Because the hope that had been given to him. That though a vile sinner, God had given him the victory. And he knew that he would be raised up as well. We then are do the exact same thing. We will continue to work in the Lord, always abounding, overflowing, excessive in the things of God because he has granted us the victory. And let me state it then in the reverse. If we've stopped overflowing then in the work of the Lord... It shows that we've stopped appreciating the grace of God. If we are not always abounding in the work of the Lord, then it shows we've taken our eyes off of the resurrection. We've taken our eyes off of the grace of God. We've taken our eyes off of the victory that has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ. 
The way that we continue to work in the Lord and that we work in a way that is not as a duty, but as a joy is because we see the resurrection. I will give everything to him for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So not only will I withstand trials and difficulties and be steadfast and immovable through all of the difficulties because of the hope of the resurrection, I will lay my life out on the line and I will give everything that I can give because of the resurrection. I will abound always in the work of the Lord. I will do what is right and I will obey God's laws and I will put others ahead of myself and I will do what God has called me to do and to be as a Christian because of the hope of the resurrection. It now gives me the positive joy and energy to go forward and always overflow with what God has called me to do because of all he has accomplished for me. Which leads to the third. Verse 58 again. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That is a great final statement. Your work in the Lord is not a waste of time. Your service in the Lord is not useless. Your worship to God is not a waste. Your giving to the Lord is not empty. And I could say it, I think, also in a positive sense as well is that when we give ourselves to the kingdom of God and we work for the Lord and we do that all God has called us to do, now we have meaning and value. That's what he's getting at here. Know that your labor is not in vain. Well, what's the opposite of not in vain? It's valuable. It's useful. It is good. It has benefit. It is something that is good for us. Know that your work is valuable. I want you to think about that. There's not a lot of things in this life that are actually valuable. With spiritual eyes. There's not a lot of things that are valuable. There are things that are necessary. There are things that are accomplished. There are things that must be done. But there's not a lot that's valuable at the end of the day. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. Your work in the Lord is valuable. It has a reward that is waiting. When we work overflowingly, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that labor is not a waste of time. That is not an empty hope. That is not empty reasoning in your mind as to, well, why should I do this? The resurrection is why. There is a reward that is waiting for us. That is why we overflow. This is how we have the life of meaning before God. This is where we get our value. This is what what it all comes down to is what God has accomplished. And when I am doing the works of God, my labor is not in vain. My work in Him has value and meaning and it will be greatly rewarded. Uh, we live in a world that's always looking for value and meaning, right? I need the meaning. I need, I need a job that has meaning. I'll give you a job that has meaning. Work in the kingdom of God. That job has lots of meaning and lots of value. It is not in vain. That we give ourselves, that we worship, that we serve, that we obey, and we work for God. God will richly reward us. 
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul ends an amazing section of the resurrection that fills us with hope, that carries us through to the final day when he will raise every one of his up to everlasting life. If you have not turned to Jesus and have followed him, obeyed him with all of your heart, this hope does not rest for you. There is a glorious hope awaiting those who will turn away from the things of this world, who will change their mind from a, away from the physical, the material, away from selfish thinking, away from living for ourselves. God is calling us to always abound in the work of the Lord and to see the high, high value of doing such. He's promised you eternal life. He's proven that it will happen through the resurrection of his son. Jesus has dealt with sin. He has dealt with the law. He is putting all the enemies under his feet. He's got yet another enemy to come. He will deal with death and he will raise you from the dead. But you must put your faith in him. You must turn away from your sins and follow him and trust him and serve him and love him with all your heart. Obey Him. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, this is how you enter into that relationship. That is where your hope begins. Having your sins washed away, rising up to the hope of eternal life, the hope of resurrection. And we're begging you this morning to take advantage of the opportunity that stands before you. When we sing this song, we're encouraging you, inviting you, begging you. To see the hope that God has promised to all the earth if they will follow him and serve him. To have eternal life with the glorious God and Father. If you're ready to respond to the invitation, you can either speak to one of us afterward or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.